Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about securing your distance learning and teaching. And we have a special guest, Aaron Mosley, Senior Account Exec for Education at Intel, and another special guest, uh, Grant Kelly, a Solution Architect for Education at Intel. Hey, hey Darren. Thanks hey, for how's it going, guys? <laughs> it's nice to talk to you guys again. We had a great last podcast about, you know, just the whole ecosystem about distance learning and adjusting to new architectures that we have to put in place uh, to um, combat this COVID-19 and still educate our children. Hey, yeah, it's a whole new world. So I'm glad we're diving into this. this is so, great. but today we got to talk about securing our kids, right? We yeah. don't want any more Zoom bombs going on. Yeah. Those happen. <laughs> yeah. We don't want kids changing their name. And Grant, you had a great story about this one. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so my, my wife is a fifth grade science and social studies teacher uh, in Ohio. And um, first Zoom meeting, you know, I had all of the kids joining and we're starting to see the the Brady Bunch, you know, I uh, thumbnails of, of each one of the kids. And one of the students in their, um, you know, uh, attempts to be humorous, decided to change their display name from their real name to... Um, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. It was offensive <laughs> enough. <Yeah. laughs> Sounds yeah. like a normal fifth grader to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. So, so let's dive in right into security. It's a big issue, hot topic. A lot of school districts don't know all the all just perils out there because this is all new for them. Yeah, it is. It, it's all new, and you know, primarily when we were all at school sites, right, we had a lot of protection at the perimeter there that we were kind of relying on. Mm -hmm. Some of that shifted a little bit, and we've got to think more about the client. We have, you know, district-owned assets. We have BYOD assets um, that are basically coming in from a zero-trust network all the time, and so we have a lot of things like you know, patching and data encryption to start thinking about to help mitigate things like network attacks, you know, privacy and data exploit, privacy data exploits and loss, you know, unsecured environments, those zero trust networks that I was talking about, and then attacks on, you know, video collaboration tools and things like that. Even from, hey, I'm kind of messing around, I'm going to do something like what I first mentioned and, you know, change my name. How do we be concerned about privacy in situations like that, as well as, you know, the security attacks? Aaron, do you want to add, you know, some of your comments to this as well? Yeah, I mean, I think so many of these things are, are, are new to taking this home, right, for students and parents and teachers. And I think doing some basic um, training for these um, new homebound classrooms is super important too. So it's a really important topic. Yep. So let's talk about, you know, solutions for helping to secure the teachers and students. What are some of the stuff? There's lots of threats. So let's talk about some of the solutions that are available. Yeah, so, you know, the first thing that we want to consider is there's really a couple different scenarios, right? We've got really two main categories of kind of a BYOD device or a district-owned asset. Some of this is going to shift a little bit because of, you know, who owns the device. 
Um, and then we've got some additional things that we'll want to think about a little bit based on how that device, regardless of whether it's BYOD or it's a district-owned asset, how it's being used. But when we think about a BYOD device, we still can think about you know, policy-based access control and enterprise rights management and things like that. Even if we don't access it and it's accessing resources in the data center, the private cloud and things like that, we still want to implement you know, some basic controls around what are they allowed to access, what are their rights, you know, and what are the policies that affect that. When we think about those devices accessing, you know, cloud services, multi-factor authentication at very minimum, right? We want to make sure that that is the user that they claim to be, right? We're not allowing any kind of uh, data loss through just, you know, poor authentication methods is what it boils down to. We may be able to require that we do the patching on those devices. We want to make sure that you know they are at minimum up to the latest security patches and things like that. And so we can have an opt-in scenario where if you want to access these resources, we have to do the patching for you and things like that. And then we can also request things like full disk encryption for that data protection aspect of it. So you and also need to educate some of these people yeah. Don't hit skip patch updates, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what they do at, at our house, right? Yeah, My kids exactly. are like, oh, dad, it wants to upgrade, but I was busy watching a YouTube video, so I hit cancel. <laughs> Great, thanks, kids. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, wanna, we do want to control that, right? And so that's where, the, you know, the opting into patching, we can kind of force some of those things, you know. Yep. Now, there's also other assets, assets that the district owns. Yep right? Yep. That's different than like bring your own device, right? It, it is a little different, right? It's going to, well, it's, it's going to be significantly different from a policy enforcement perspective, right? The, the thing that is going to be a little unique is that now these devices are being used in different network environments, potentially different network environments than what they ever have before. Um, we may or may not have been allowing students to take devices home. And so this may be the first time that these devices are really existing for the most part in a zero trust network environment, unsec completely unsecured. And so we'll wanna look at some of the policies that we were implementing on those devices before. Things like, you know, the local firewall, is that turned on? Um, you know, are we leveraging that? As well as things like secure boot. We don't want a student being able to plug in, you know, a device uh, and boot from that device for any reason, right? We'll handle the recovery if something goes wrong. And if the device is lost or stolen, we don't want any of that student data being exposed, uh, being vulnerable because somebody's able to boot from a Windows PE disk or, you know, something like that. So we want to enable things like secure boot. We still have some of the things that remain consistent here are going to be around those enterprise rights management as well as, you know, multi-factor authentication for the public cloud. But looking at what we can do when we have, you know, control over the asset, we can enforce that patching. Um, we can enforce the, the disk encryption. We can enforce local firewall policies as well as, you know, secure boot and things like that. And we'll want to consider those types of things because of where this device resides for the bulk of its life now. It resides in a zero trust network for all intents and purposes. Aaron, do you want to add anything to that? 
it's so it's it is very complicated and you can have a situation inside a school district where you have both windows devices and chrome devices right so and and when you have to consider encryption and data protection and patching for a windows device and then all the other um access um security uh situations for a Chrome device. I think it gets very complicated too. Yeah. I guess I wonder, you know, when we look at these two situations, you know, where do we, um, you know, where are the, the solutions for, uh, for securing a student device in a Chrome environment? Does it look much different than this or is it, or does it fit within this world as well? Yeah, so the concepts remain um, pretty consistent, right? And I've got a, a story, an anecdotal point that I can offer here, right? Is there was um, about three weeks into the quarantine, my wife started getting calls. Students were not able to get onto their Chromebooks and their mm -hmm. Chromebooks were saying, mm -hmm. enroll into your enterprise or your G Suite for education is what it was saying. What had happened was a slew of students had realized that they could power wash their devices. Mm -hmm. And the reason why was because uh, the IT previously, in an effort to try and make things simple for them, they allowed the devices to be power washed on a regular right. basis. So the help desk person could go to the school, grab a, power, grab a Chromebook, and just power wash it if they needed to right from the settings. Right. Now that those devices, and again, you know, we don't have that IT help desk person visiting a school site on Tuesdays and Thursdays anymore, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so now the students had either inadvertently or intentionally power wash their devices because of that convenience policy that we had previously. Yep. Now we've got to shift to that policy. So as you were mentioning, you're absolutely correct. The specifics change, right? Chromebooks to Windows, it's going to change significantly. But as we think about the policy, the spirit of the law, if you will, right, mm -hmm. that lies, you know, underneath all of those policies, those types of things are going to remain consistent. Right. Yep. And as we think about those devices, so I'd mentioned really, you know, there's the PYOD, BYOD devices, there's the district owned assets. And then as we think about either one of those types being used as a service client, we really want to think about some other components here, right? We still have our enterprise rights management. We still have data protection and app security that we want to be concerned about. But just being aware that, you know, our services that are hosted in the public cloud and anything that we're offering from the data center, we're leveraging security in those areas as well from that perspective with things like transport layer security and multi-factor authentication, we're making sure that we're trying to close that circle as best as we possibly can from a security and privacy perspective. So as you think about some of the things that, you know, Intel is doing around these areas, it really kind of boils down to a couple different things. There's some technologies that we've built into that foundational element, the hardware here around you know, hardware shield um, that help you protect that operating system really from the ground up, right? Because if we're below the operating system, that operating system being compromised, we have an opportunity at the hardware level to help mitigate that. So as we think about some of the technologies that, you know, Intel brings to those, that's where we're really trying to build from the ground up, you know, a 
comprehensive um, security uh, footprint for you, right? Help you build your comprehensive security footprint. So those would be tools like um, Secure Boot, right? Um, Things like that, that hardware shield, uh, Intel hardware shield, which protects BIOS boot all the way up to the OS. Absolutely, yeah, Secure Boot, um, encryption acceleration technologies, you know, things like that, all of those aspects together, you're absolutely correct, Darren. That's where they really come into play, right? Because the concept here, again, is if we, if you think about a house, how is a house built, right? The, the strongest part is going to be the foundation. So if we use that as the analogy here for teacher and student devices, building from the hardware component up and making sure that that foundation is strong, you're gonna strengthen the whole structure. Now, another, th- another crazy thing that happens now that my devices are outside the walls of the data center, outside of the, they're in people's homes, let's just say it how it is. My threat landscape for, is huge now for, for cyber threats. It is, yeah. Massive, so we've gotta do a better job at detection. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We had a single ingress egress point before, right? Is that's that's one of the things that we consider. And that's what I meant earlier when I was talking about we did a pretty good job of securing the perimeter. And so that allowed us to kind of shift focus more towards that perimeter um, than it was, you know, necessarily on the client device. Sure, we didn't totally ignore the client device, whether it be for a student or for a faculty and staff member. We didn't ignore it. Um, but because we were all behind that secured perimeter and we had that closed loop, we may not have put, you know, as much attention on it. But as we start thinking about these client devices, quote unquote, out in the wild, if you will, they're exposed to the predators, uh, you know, the the, the, the uh, wild kingdom analogy comes in now. <laughs> they're, well, they're, ex- they're exposed to the predators all the time. Well, and then they can, and, and that's a front door to now our data center as yeah, well mm-hmm. exactly right yep. so mm-hmm. yeah threat threat uh, surface is much larger and exactly so we can protect the client we can protect the data center we can detect uh, uh things coming in um and there's a lot of technology under the covers for this that intel's providing whether it's secure boot or threat detection we also have some pretty incredible um technology and encryption yep Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing encryption in silicon now, for example. Um, before, everyone said, yeah, encryption, but it slows everything down. Right. Um, now, that's not the case, right? Encryption is basically free uh, yeah. because we're doing all this encryption in, in silicon. And um, as, the, as the bits are being stored or moved through the network or through the CPU, all that encryption can happen. Um, without a lot of impact uh, to your speed. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Great. Now, one thing that you guys mentioned several times that I heard you talk about was we have to educate people on some basic security hygiene. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's some tips and tricks out there that we want to teach people about. Yeah, absolutely. As we think about, you know, some of the best practices when it comes to security and privacy overall, um, there's really a couple things that, you know, come up, come to mind, right? And the the new, I think the new factor here, right, is that we have new tools, new systems that we're using for the first time, right? And they have default settings. 
And I think kind of the general statement is always scrutinize a default setting, right? Is, is it may be convenient, um, but it probably bears scrutiny, right? As we look at some of the different video conferencing platforms and things like that, what do we allow it to do? Uh, we started off the podcast with me, you know, relating a story about, you know, a student joining uh, a, a video conference meeting and changing their display name. And the reason why they were able to do that was because the default setting did not require an authenticated user. So they had no identity management that was part of, um, you know, that particular meeting. So as we look at these default settings for, you know, video conferencing solutions, content repositories, mobile apps. We want to review those. We want to scrutinize those and make sure that they comply with what our district policies are. Mm -hmm. Whenever possible, we want to try and integrate these new systems and applications with existing identity management systems. If there's a way to use SSO, we're going to guarantee identity if we're using single sign-on, things like that. And then finally, you know, we want to make sure that we draft and distribute these recommendations because BYOD scenarios, there may be a certain level of things that we can do, but we can certainly pass along any kind of recommendations with regards to security and privacy that we feel meet our, you know, district policy and things like that. Erin, right. do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I just think that getting these policies public and communicated is so important. Um, you know, these IT organizations have um, have dealt with this with the curriculum folks, you know, for a long time. Um, and to, to be able to say, no, you can use that. You can't use that mobile app. Yes, you can use this one. Um, and what they don't want to become is the... IT police, right? The technology right. police. So getting the students and the teachers on board to be able to say, we need to protect ourselves and here's the best way we can protect ourselves by arming them with this information from the IT organization, I think is gonna make everyone's life a lot better um, in this whole new virtual world. Yeah, so there's, there's things that we can do, you know, right now. There's things that we can do for, you know, a longer term, right? Right now, we can educate. I think that's the thing that we all three have really been kind of, you know, driving home here is that we want to draft some policies. We want to get those out to faculty and staff and student body, things like that. Uh, probably more importantly is explain to you faculty and staff some of the risk associated with this, right? If you don't do this, here are the things that are at risk, you know, so that education um, is an important factor. Wherever we possibly can, there's things that we probably want to start enforcing from, you know, passing to patching, excuse me, to enterprise rights management to simple things like what I mentioned earlier about turning on transport layer security. Um, making sure that our endpoint security agents are up to date and that we're enforcing those security policies. And then, you know, even simple things like enable full disk encryption where we can. Long term, let's think about what we can do with zero trust network access, right? Is, is, there, a, is there a strategic uh, initiative that we need to craft and then implement for kind of a long term? Anywhere possible, let's think about using multi-factor authentication, you know, for everything. Strengthen our enterprise rights management. Um, look at deep stack security solutions as well as auditing. You know, one of the things that we may or may not do is have penetration testing events and things like that where, you know, we may want to start implementing some things around auditing 
um, and penetration testing to make sure that we are truly securing things. And then finally, you know, extend the enterprise security as best as possible to the virtual classrooms wherever we can through management of those devices at very minimum. Now, we yeah. talked a little bit about, um, you know, this is really in the data center, this is my IT professional, but we keep, keep going back to that educating our students and their parents, right? We've uh -huh. got to educate both of them. So um, what are some things that we can do to like, make it easier for a parent, right? They've got, they're working from home, they've got Wi-Fi opened up, right? In my house, I've got literally five kids that are doing remote learning right now. Yeah, yeah. I, one high yeah. schooler, two middle schoolers, and two college kids that came home and said, yeah, I don't have to be at school anymore. But I mean, yeah, it's right. like Zoom calls all day long here. Right. Oh, you know, okay, so quick sidebar. I love that because now I'm not the only one in the house that shoots the glance to the side and goes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, that is so true. I walk through a room and they go, I'm on a call. And I go, great, so am I, <laughs> you know. But yeah, Darren, I, you know, you, you hit on a, uh, a really important topic is there's some things that we can do right now, right? Here's just some tips and tricks, some best practices, right? Like, you know, update your system. It's, it's really pretty simple. I know it's inconvenient at times, but click yes, you want to restart now. That's what it boiled down to. I think each one of my kids, I've gone to their system, and even on their phone, there's a badged icon. And I'm like, when's the last time you did a update? You know, well, this app's not working. Well, when did the last time, when, when, when did you update last? Um, what's update? Oh, okay. Well, you know, let's update our system. Let's make sure that our AV and endpoint security is updated. Um, turn on the local firewall if we can, if we have a system that allows us to restrict traffic. And then if you're not using it, don't, don't let it just run. You know, we have different apps that are running in the background that could be uploading data, you know, in the background or have potential exploits associated with them. If you're not using them, go ahead and close them down. And then some things for the home itself, it's, it's kind of surprising how often, and, and I think it's, you know, it's more probable right now that we had different pieces of equipment get ordered. You know, when we all started having to learn from home or teach from home, we probably, and we had multiple people doing it at one time in a lot of homes, right? We started overwhelming our wireless router. And so we ordered one or we went out and bought one if we, if we still could at that moment. It came out of the box and in a hurry, we just set it up and we just went with the default, uh, default, 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 everything's still mm -hmm. default, default username, default password, default SSID, default password for the SSID. Go ahead and change those. Take a few minutes to just go through and customize your setup for you. Um, funny, funny joke here. My SSID, it's called CIA van one. I think I'm going to defer <laughs> hackers with that. Virus server is another good one. I like that one. <laughs> Long story short, you know, make sure that we're not just running the default config. We want to try and we want to try and detour or inhibit any type of um, infractions in our network with you know nefarious characters as best as we possibly can. 
Yep. Aaron, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I just, I'll just reiterate a few things that you said. I mean, I think this whole new virtual classroom has actually, unfortunately, brought out some bad actors um, mm -hmm. that know that they can take advantage of this situation. So I think a lot of these um, lists and tricks um, and tips can be kind of overwhelming sometimes. But once you start getting into it, you'll find it's really not as difficult as it sounds, you know, when you see something on here that says disable UPNP and you don't know yeah. what that means, um, I feel you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you go to one of like this website here, I've actually been to this stopthinkconnect.org and it is really helpful um, and it walks through specific tips. Um, and I think getting on it now rather than later when something bad actually does happen is super important. Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. this is this has been great, guys. I'm hopefully um, our educators out there in our school districts have learned something from today. I've learned some new things today, and um, thank you so much for for your time. Thank Absolutely, you, Darren. thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.